What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the legends of the ring convention in monroe new jersey this coming saturday june 11th 2016 featuring some of the biggest names in the history of professional wrestling including recent wwe hall of famer sting and of course the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be brett the hitman hart as well as the two-man power trip of wrestling's guest buff bagwell Head on over to legendsofthering.com for more information and stay tuned in just a little bit for a little bit more info if you need it on the Legends of the Ring convention courtesy of our friends over at Legends of the Ring and legendsofthering.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad and as always I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, the episode today has a tag team flavor and I think it's one of our specialties we have on the show, former WWE superstar and one half of the tag team known as Crime Time, JTG joins the program in what can be described as only one of the most fun interviews I think we've ever had because JTG is a fun-loving kind of guy. He's a very humorous dude. And when you think about that tag team scene, 
about 10 years ago, heading into around 2008, 2009. Crime time really was at the forefront of actually getting some new teams and some fresh blood into the WWE at a time where I think fans really did criticize the fact that the emphasis on tag team wrestling really just was not in the strongest suit for WWE at that time. Obviously, there's been a revival uh, of sorts with the NXT brand and, and just some great pairs being put together by WWE. And we definitely commend WWE for doing that. But with JTG and Shad and Crime Time, man, they really had something different, but they really did help reinvigorate the tag team scene, especially for that mid to late 2000 era. Yes, Chatty Boy, back here again. Another fantastic episode at the two man power trip of wrestling. And today we're bringing in none other than the former Crime Time member himself, JTG, along with, of course, his former tag team partner and sometimes current tag team partner, uh, Shad Gaspar. They comprised a great, great tag team of Crime Time, and they pretty much reinvigorized or re kind of invented the tag team division scene for a bit there while they were in the WWE. Because if you remember, the tag team division kind of was dead, dead and buried for a while, and then they started to bring the tag team scene back with Ken, uh, Brian Kendrick and Paul London, Haas and Benjamin, Cade and Murdoch, the Highlanders, etc., etc. But Crime Time, one of the most memorable teams from that era, and they were very, very entertaining. They were very funny. They were super, super over. Somewhat controversial as well. You have to admit that. Obviously, they did some controversial things. We talked to JTG in the interview all about that. And we go in-depth into, you know, was it racist? Was it stereotypical? All that kind of stuff. Great, great fun stuff. And he had great answers. And it was just one of the most fun interviews we've done because he's such a funny and talented and creative guy. So that was great. But with Crime Time, one thing that you'll never forget with them is money, money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That money, money. Yeah, yeah. As John and I were preparing for this interview, of course, it's always fun to go back and look at some of the best moments of a guy's career or some of the funnier things or just some of the, uh, you know, some of the research that you have to do for some of these interviews. But in this case, it was just very, very fun to go back and watch a couple of those uh, backstage segments that they had, either if it was with DX or if it was with Vince McMahon. Our favorite one has William Regal. And Vince McMahon from SummerSlam 2009, and I was really happy that John was able to fire off something about that one and just kind of get his take on it, because please go out of your way to find it. I wanted to include it on this show, but just the audio was not syncing up correctly. But please, SummerSlam, a couple, I think it was 2008. I could be wrong. Maybe it was, yeah, maybe 2007 or 2008. And just that money, money, yeah, yeah. It just It's too much with Regal's uh, deadpan and then into the dancing. It's just, it's too good. And definitely a, a nicer and finer side of uh, William Regal there. But want to keep it relevant and talk about the WWE releases. Obviously, JTG is somebody that was way at the top of our list when these releases started coming out. Just because he became such an internet phenomenon with his employment. Not even his release, his actual employment. That led to his release and just the memes and the uh, the funny Facebook things or the, the stuff you'd see on Twitter about JTG. And I don't think anybody ever could have expected that JTG would have elicited the type of response that he did from the WWE Universe and the fans outside of WWE that just embraced 
these uh, just these memes and these funny sayings about JTG. But John, we got his his take on it, and really his take on the releases is actually you know the spawn of his books that we are promoting on this show. And uh, his take on the releases and some of the ones that surprised him and some of the ones that didn't is very, very good stuff. But more specifically, I just got to say, I really did love the talk about the memes and the Internet phenomenon that became of JTG. You know, we get into the releases that happened a few weeks ago in the WWE. Obviously, Sandow at the top of the list. And you got Hornswoggle, Brooklyn Brawler, Santino Morella. You got a bunch of the guys that got released in somewhat shocking way I guess but if you're used to watching wrestling and maybe 10 or 12 years ago or so they did start to do these kind of major cuts in these major halls and I guess it hasn't been done in a while they were kind of letting the guys contracts expire and kind of getting them to release and you weren't really seeing these big time releases like that so it was kind of a, a little shocking for a lot of people to all of a sudden see that but we go into in-depth with JTG and who better to talk to that he's the perfect guy to speak to the releases about because of all those internet memes that were out there and all that craze that was going out there with JTG, how he's still on the clock and he's still getting paid and he's at home for a year now working. And we kind of get his perspective on it and what he thought about all that. Did he think it was funny? Did he think it was cool? I mean, just his answer for it is phenomenal. So stick around for that. You're really going to enjoy that because that was one of the questions I was dying to ask him. You know, what, what kind of did he think about that? Because me as a fan and Chad, I know you as a fan, we kind of had the same reaction to it. Like, that's hilarious. Yet, <laughs> so weird. It's so just random of, of these creative wrestling fans to come up with something like that. But good, good stuff from JTG out of that. Just loved his answer on that. Loved talking about the releases and, and what he, what, you know, his opinion on the release. Because uh, as Crime Time, they were released one time before and then re-signed about six months later. And then put into a little bit of a program with John Cena. So we go into depth on that. We go into depth on any heat they may have had with John Cena go into depth on a very very funny Kate and Murdoch story about why there was heat with Kate and Murdoch in crime time you know about some pranks and some uh, you know devilish behavior that they were up to and one thing you just can't miss and obviously why we really had JTG on it was to talk about the book obviously the first book damn why did I write this book and then the second book damn why did I write this book too so entertaining so much fun he talks in depth about his time in the WWE if you hadn't had a chance to go out Go read it. And then also they have the audio version as well. So go check that out. You will absolutely love the books. He just did such a phenomenal job. And he's so damn entertaining. And he's so damn funny. I mean, he'll teach you how to play the game. He'll teach you how to avoid getting heat. All great stuff. And just a fantastic, fun interview. He's just such a funny, love, love you know, loving guy. And he's just uh, a pleasure to talk to. So the former Crime Time member was a fantastic interview for those keeping score this is episode number 182 and i don't think we could have waited any longer to get this one out there because jtg has a lot to tell you about what's going on in professional wrestling and we really do implore you to listen to those plugs go out and get his book whether it is the audiobook or it is the actual physical book if you see him at a show Pick it up and you will learn a lot about the professional wrestling industry, especially what's been going on in the current day WWE because he was there for a long time and he knows exactly what he's talking about and talks about how to play the game. Wink, wink. And of course, we want to thank JTG for coming on and telling us all about the books and just telling us all about his career and it was a lot of fun. Really hope you enjoy it. 
And if you are in the metro New Jersey area, the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, hell, if you're even in Delaware, Connecticut, get on up to the Legends of the Ring convention in Monroe, New Jersey, and join guests from episode number 159, Mr. Buff the Stuff Bagwell, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, Buff Daddy, an original NWO member. Buff Bagwell has done it all, seen it all. He was a major feature on episode 159. And you got to come out if you're in that New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware. Hell, come from Maryland. Come from Virginia. Come from all over the globe. Come see Buff Bagwell this coming Saturday as well as some of the other huge guests. I mentioned Sting. I mentioned Brett the Hitman Hart. There's going to be a ton of vendors there. But you can come and see the two-man power trip as well as Buff get some pictures, get some autographs, and have a great time. And get on over to legendsofthering.com for more information or head on over to our Facebook page. Send us a message. We'll get you all the information that you need. And John will send you over there as well during the plugs for the two-man power trip in the two-man power trip of wrestling business. And with all that being said, thanks for listening. And John, do what you do best. Hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to JTG. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Rasslinpal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. We are releasing the latest and greatest clips. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on there, please check out the feed for prior great episodes with the late. American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Jesse the Body Ventura, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the phenomenal A.J. Styles, the Demon, Glenn Kane Jacobs, the Lunatic Fringe, Dean Ambrose, Stan the Laird Hansen, and many, many more. Also, please check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. You can now check us out on Google Play, as well as Player FM and the i95 Sports Network. For any bookings, please hit up our email, bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com for any of your booking needs. Also, check out our store on ProWrestlingTees.com. It is new and it is awesome. So please check it out as ProWrestlingTees.com. Also, while you're there, check out the Kevin Thorne page as well as the Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff page and the coming soon, the Buff Bagwell page. So please check that out on ProWrestlingTees.com. And now, without any further ado, a former two-time OVW Southern Tag Team Champion, a two-time author with Damn, Why Did I Write This Book and Damn, Why Did I Write This Book too. He is the former Crime Time member and former WWE superstar. He is JTG. Please enjoy. Yo, 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 yo. Chad Gaspard and JTG. It's Crime Time. Brooklyn, Brooklyn.
oh, was I allowed to curse? Because uh, you know, I just want to make sure. It's like, well, you know, even if you weren't, you did. So we'll just uh, we'll deal with it from there. So, but it's all good. So yeah, if you're ready to go, so are we. When you are. All right. Well, joining us on the line tonight is a former WWE superstar and now getting to be quite the accomplished author. If you haven't yet, check out Damn Why Did I Write This Book, number one, and Damn Why Did I Write This Book, two. We're going to welcome in right now a former two-time OVW Southern Tag Team Champion. He is JTG. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Sure. What's going on? <laughs> well, you're going on tonight. I'll tell you what, it's, you're the perfect guest. It's like perfect placement, right place, right time, because... Uh, it's no secret what's going on in the wrestling business, and one guy who's very outspoken about it and does not hold back on what he feels is JTG, and uh, very eager to get your thoughts on some of the happenings going on in the world of professional wrestling right now. No problem. Pick my brain as much as you want. <laughs> oh, well, all right. Well, with that being said, now, obviously, the big thing going on is the WWE releases, whether they are mutual or amicable or not. Uh, they've been coming uh, maybe a couple of weeks, most notably last week with Cody Rhodes, and then the departure of his wife. But from somebody who's been through the WWE system, been through the WWE releases, been through the massive cuts, but also kind of turned into an Internet phenomenon for dodging the cuts, what's your take on what's going on with the WWE right now and why? Uh, I guess the Internet fans are so surprised that these cuts are happening uh, at the way they are, and guys are asking for their release finally. Well, yeah, talent are finally getting frustrating, and they're realizing – not fans, I'm sorry, talent is finally getting – fans are too getting frustrated, but we're not talking about them right now. Um, talent is uh, definitely getting frustrated with the with the way things are being handled backstage, and, you know, they're just being um, – you know, it's sad when you realize that no matter how hard you work – you know, you you have to be chosen. It's about being about being handpicked. And you know, right back, he put out a statement a couple of a couple of weeks ago that made a lot of sense. No matter how hard, or this is the only business. No matter how hard you work, it could achieve to nothing. Yeah, and that statement was all encompassing with that. That he was looking for fair pay. He was looking for uh, maybe a better scale on how guys are, are treated when it comes to where their placement is on the card. But at the end of the day, still. We go back to the old Jesse the Body Ventura argument of there being no unions in wrestling. So, unfortunately, and I know you know a lot about it, playing the, quote, game uh, is essential for a lot of talent. But I think the one that stands out the most is Cody Rhodes, who obviously we watched his progression from when he came up through the start and stop pushes, then the change in gimmick, and then wanting to go back to just being Cody Rhodes and then just throwing his hands up and walking out of uh, TV taping a couple weeks back. You know, what do you think about a guy like Cody walking away with such a, a legacy and lineage that he's taken with him? Yeah, Cody, I, when I was there, he definitely definitely played the game. Um, the, his last couple of years, his last two years, I, I'm not sure what was going on backstage, but I could definitely tell by the way um, he was expressing himself in that, in that release letter when he got released, his, um, his tweet that he put out. He was definitely going through some of the characteristics that a lot of talent go through when they get frustrated and they're contacting the writers. And I spoke about that in my um, last book, How to Play the Game. Uh, it was one is in one of the um, when it's time when it's time to start playing the game. One of the ten 
10 ways to, uh, 10 ways to know is when you start talking to writers and they start, um, ignoring you and dodging and avoiding you back backstage. And that was happening to Cody. And I don't know how, I don't know how that happened to Cody because Cody, he, he holds some weight, uh, backstage, you know, his father's Dusty Rhodes his, and his brother's an agent and also, um, future hall of famer, uh, Golda. So I don't know how, uh, how the writers were avoiding him. I guess they got, uh, they got, um, uh, told by the higher ups. I don't know. We've heard a lot about writers, uh, whether it's on air or off air, uh, stories that would blow some of the, maybe the common fans mind. The smart fans might know some of the tricks, uh, some of the trades that has to go on back there when you are a writer and maybe you're not the most athletically inclined uh, of an individual and you're working in an environment where you're pretty much holding in the balance somebody's livelihood. But out of all those releases, which one surprised you the most uh, and maybe I guess if you didn't see it coming, we didn't see it coming, which one really stands out to you in that regard? Uh, definitely uh, Damian Sandow. And, um, he he got himself over, and the response that he got um, from the, what was it, the, the WrestleMania, the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, I was like, wow, I haven't seen this guy in a while, and he's getting a great reaction from the um, from the crowd. they got to do something with him. You know, I did not see that coming with the with the releases. And that goes to show that if you're not handpicked, it doesn't matter if you get a reaction or not. If you're loved by the fans, I think if you're not uh, if you're not selected by the powers that be, <laughs> or didn't play the game, you're you're not going to be um, used. Creative has nothing has nothing for you. I don't even think when they when talent when they get released by by um by the WWE and they say that creative had nothing for you, I I. 100% don't believe that. Because if, if Vince saw someone from the, from the office says they want to do something with this guy, the writers will come up with a, with something for you. So I, I definitely believe it's beyond the writers and not having, have, not having creative, um, not having anything for you. I think some people could use that as somewhat of a scapegoat only because if the writers have nothing for you, the, uh, the chairman and a couple other people still might have that final say on whether or not you're going to be used ultimately if they have a plan for you down the road or whether or not it's somebody that's like, okay, well, a guy like Sandow, who is an ex- just an out-of-this-world talent, both verbally and in the ring, had been in the mm-hmm. system for 10 or 12 years on and off, uh, different you know iterations, different characters, all except for his earlier run, just all got over and the fans loved it. I've been concerned about this next crop, and we were talking to Kurt Hawkins a few weeks back about it. This next crop is the NXT crop. These are the guys that the WWE are bringing in through tryouts, and they're bringing in basically through the casting calls, and they're getting them into that performance center and grooming them into what a WWE superstar is. Those are the next guys that are going to be in the recycled crop of releases. What do you think that they have to expect, that they've really, some of them never been outside of WWE walls, what do they have to expect when it comes to be their time and then their cast off and then for the next crop then to come in? The next crop definitely needs to read my, my book because <laughs> I definitely talk about <laughs> a lot of experiences that um that I had to deal with, that I had to uh, go through in my career just by um, – no one told me. Because like, just like those WWE um, NXT guys, um, I didn't really have that much experience outside of it, outside the developmental – uh, territory because when I first started, I went straight to 
I kind of went straight to OVW, and I didn't really do any indie, indie shows until I was released. So I didn't really get a get a good grasp of how the indies how the indies work and all those uh, what they do on the on the road on independent shows. Um, but for what they need to expect is they just need to put the put their ego aside um, and just be yes men, pretty much. <laughs> you just have to go along to get along. Eat shit and like it. <laughs> because in the WWE, they're going to toss you a lot of shit. They're going to test you. They test you. The first day you walk through that door, they test you. They they want to break you. They want to mentally break you. Forget physically. They want to mentally break you. They want you to eat shit, like it, and ask for more. And what did you think about, you know, we're talking about releases and everything else. What did you think about your release when that went down? Were you surprised at all? Or, or what was your kind of general feeling of, on the whole thing? I definitely wasn't surprised. I was home for about a, a year before they, a uh, little more than a year when they gave me the call. So when I was at home, after like a few months, and I haven't been called back to do any um, TV tapings or any live events, I was just kind of mentally preparing myself, you know, and um, pre- preparing myself to uh, to move on and get some things going uh, independently uh, to uh, provide for my family. And it's very interesting, you know, what, what happens with the releases and stuff and kind of what the Internet's perspective is and things surrounding it. And uh, I know Chad kind of mentioned it before a little bit, but when you got released, did you find that kind of funny beforehand that people were kind of doing those countdown things and saying how long you've been there and, you know, that WWE didn't realize you were still under contract? Did you find all that kind of stuff kind of funny? Oh, I, I found it uh, humorous. I enjoyed some of the memes. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed a lot of the memes that fans were making. Um, I favorited a whole bunch of them and saved them in my uh, in my gallery. Some of the memes that were, that were being made. Um, yeah, I, I, when I got released, I also put out a, a humorous tweet, which why which why I the response that it got, I had to name my uh, my I had to title my book that uh, the tweet that I put out that got over like three thousand retweets and likes was. Um, Damn, why did I pick up my phone? That was the first thing that came to my mind <laughs> when I picked up. Uh, when after I hung up the after I hung up the phone call, and I, I was really surprised by the response I got. And then it was only to title my book that. Yeah, very creative with some of the things that they were putting out there, and kind of funny. Did you have a feeling, kind of like what they were making the joke of, that like kind of forgot I'm under contract? Did you ever have like that weird kind of feeling? Um, no, at the time, I think um, the way things were going, they weren't releasing talent. They were more waiting for their contracts to expire because a lot of talent who who I who I saw um, who were in the same position as me, who could have been released months ago, they just let their contracts ride out. So I thought they were going to do the same thing with me and um, not resign. So when, um, when they did kind of release me, it was kind of like, oh, I thought you guys were going to wait for my contract to, uh, <laughs> to expire. I only had a few more months left. So it was like six months, six months short. And then when they did release, it was like, ah, oh, okay. I mean, I was home for a year, uh, over a year. So it, was like, it wasn't really a big shock or big surprise. You were definitely an Internet sensation or an Internet phenomenon for a while there because it was so funny, all the websites and all the you know, people picking it up and putting several – different things. So how did the, you know, the process of the book come along? Did it just kind of come along very easily and very naturally to you? Um, 
at first I, I was I was kind of apprehensive of doing it. I was a little scared because um, the thought of putting a book out, I had no experience or knew anybody who really put a book out until I started doing some research and started reaching out. Um, when I when I started telling stories about um, the wrestling business to my friends and family who had no um, idea about the wrestling business or didn't even watch wrestling, they were like really taken back about the stories that I shared with them. They thought it was really ridiculous, even the concept of heat. They were like, you guys are grown-ass men. You guys come across larger-than-life characters, uh, you know, <laughs> and then you guys are acting like elementary uh, elementary school kids. And they were like, this, you have to put this on paper. The you know, stories were hilarious, especially the way that I um, – the format that how I told them. They told me that I needed to put it on paper and that I need to sell this. So I did some research, and while I was doing the research um, – I came across a YouTube video about this girl who was selling 99 cents uh, Amazon uh, books. And then she became a millionaire selling those. And that was enough motivation for me right there to start, uh, start to get started on my first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy the way, you know, the motivation factors and, and the way things work out. So how's been general reaction to the book? Has it been mostly positive? Oh, most uh, I get a, I'm, it's hard for me to find a negative uh, um, response to my book. There's been a lot of positive, a lot of great feedback, even from the talent from the um, in the locker room. You know, a lot of the boys when I see them in the airport, still, you know, they they tell me that they love my book, and you know, they sometimes they apply it. They they apply it uh, at work. But um, everybody's enjoying the book. Um, it's funny um, from beginning to end. You can't put it down. Some a lot of majority of the um, the readers and um, people that follow me on social media they, they they tweet me back how they read it in one day because they couldn't put it down. Huh. That is great, and it's like the ultimate compliment, obviously, and especially if some of the boys that are still on the roster are enjoying it. It almost makes it you know a little bit sweeter, you know, with uh, you know with given that everything that happened. Do they oh, yeah, come they... up and kind of tell you you know like don't say anything that I, that I really like the book. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Do they say kind of like, "Hey, don't say anything. I don't want to get in trouble, but I really love your book." Um, no, 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 not really. <laughs> no, no, no one has ever said that. Uh, my first book, um, Zach Ryder, but the first day I put it out, he read it on his um, on uh, on a plane ride, and he tweeted about it. He really loved the book, and he gave me some, gave me a shout out, and you know, book sales shot up, and got it, and he got more exposure. So that, is exactly cool. that. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Anybody else kind of uh, say anything to you as far as, uh, you know, some of the things you write in there may be a little controversy. Do they ever say like, oh, you shouldn't have wrote that or, oh, that's a little bit too in-depth? Um, Shad. Shad had some, uh, had some problems with the book, not because of the, um, what, what, what I wrote about, what I wrote about him, some of the chapters that were about him, but more more as of a uh, man. I don't want to burn any bridges, man. There might be an opportunity for us to go back, and he didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want me to ruin that. Hmm. But I was more like uh, F it. <laughs> Do you think that uh, some bridges were definitely burned for sure? Um, no, I've seen worse. <laughs> I've seen, I've uh, heard worse by superstars, and they they came back with a. WWE with open arms, so no, I don't think I've, I've, I've severely burned any bridges. 
Now, with the book, obviously, I mean, like you said, there's a lot of positive uh, reviews out there, and mostly everyone loves it. I haven't really heard anything negative. I don't think you have either, like you said. With the second book, was that just something that was just like, man, I'm on a roll here. I'm just going to keep it going? No, some of those stories were stories that I wanted to put in the first book, but I was, again, apprehensive of putting 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 it um, in there due to uh, to the um, – Getting, you know, I was afraid, still afraid of a little of heat. I was still conditioned, still brainwashed. I was still under the system of getting heat. And then after a couple of months, by even a, a year went by, I was more. I've been out of the system for a while, so the fear of heat wasn't so much um, ingrained into my brain. So the story that I put that I didn't put in the first book, I put in the second book. And what motivated me to write the second book because I was getting a lot of um, feedback from the such great um, great uh, responses from the first book. I had to write the second one. I had to put it out there. Which is great. Now, with the the second book, which is funny, and you mentioned heat, what kind of heat have you gotten from the books from the WWE? I haven't gotten any heat, not that I know of, from uh, with the WWE. I do know that one particular superstar from my first book that, uh, that came across, um, Shad, that he thought I was talking about him. And um, Shad gave me a call while he was at the gym. He said, someone wants to speak to you. And um, he put this individual superstar on the phone. He said, hey, man, I read your, I read your book. And I was kind of surprised, like, you read my book, really? <laughs> and um, he told me he thought a particular chapter was about him. And it could have been, but I didn't, um, I didn't deny it or not. And he just wanted to make sure that we were cool and he, that I didn't take it the wrong way. Yeah, and see, it's so good. When you write a book like that, and it's kind of, it's kind of been – a little too far between where we've gotten a great book that takes us backstage and takes us into the mind of a guy like yourself who went through such a run that you did. But let's go back, if we can, to when you got into OBW, and you're saying that that was really your first uh, endeavor into, like, a mainstream, you know, wrestling company. What did you think of OBW getting in there, and obviously the improvements that have come through developmental? OBW really is uh, essentially (laughs) – it's almost like a mythology uh, place at this point because, you know, people can't believe that at one point uh, talent and developed talent came through such bare-bones situations like an OVW. OVW was great. I loved every um, minute of it. Those were considered to me my um, college years. You know, I, 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 I moved from Brooklyn, to New, um, Brooklyn, New York to, um, to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I was apprehensive about moving there, so I was going there only on the weekends. And I was taking the Greyhound bus from Times Square to Louisville, and I was doing that for a couple of months. And then when my bus was my bus was breaking down because it was winter time, and I was become, um, arriving late to, to class, you know, my trainer pulled me aside and told me that I had a potential that you know you can't afford to miss any more practices. I just finally moved there, and it was a big um, environment change for me. Um, you know, coming from the big city to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so adapting to that, um, finding a job, making friends, um, it was it was a great experience o- overall. I got to get to know the in and out of the ins and out of the business. Um, a lot of things that fans don't know what it takes to be a professional wrestler, like how to come how to conduct yourself uh, backstage, uh, traveling, how to you know, like your gimmick is your business. You know, like teaching you how to make money in this business. Like, there's so much that takes um, that it takes to become a professional wrestler, and they, and they teach you that in OVW. 
and obviously at that point in OVW, you had two of the greatest minds ever in the history of the business that were really down there. Either one guy might have been down there for a punishment, another guy was down there because he wanted to be there, but he felt like it was a punishment with what they were sending him. But what was it like working around Jim Cornette and Paul Heyman and seeing two guys that ultimately have clashed in a lot of ways, but now at the end of the day we actually heard from Cornette himself saying that now (laughs) these days they have the same enemies. But at that point, they uh, were two different people down in OVW. But what was it like working uh, under both those great minds? I didn't get a chance to work so much with with Jim Cornette. I was there during his uh, during his uh, his run, you know, and he ran. A, he he had great um, storylines, you know. He kept he kept OVW, Danny Davis Arena packed. Um, same thing with Paul Heyman. I worked with Paul Heyman. He was the one who actually put Shad and I together. Um, and when she, he put Shad, he when he put Shad and I, to, Shad and I uh, together, um, we won the Southern Tag Team titles the, the next following week. And from there, we were, we were heels, but we were fan favorites. And it was great work with Paul Heyman. He just had a unique way of uh, telling a story. <clears throat> and you guys together, I mean, make such a great team. And obviously down in that Louisville, Kentucky area now, I was born in Brooklyn myself, so I know being in another place in the country, uh, certain things clash with other certain, you know, uh, livelihood styles, uh, you know, locations. But you said coming across country, you know, what did you think about you two being brought together and bringing that, you know, maybe more of a street feel to a a very interesting uh, Smoky Mountain-style promotion? (laughs) Well, bringing bringing the hood to to Louisville, it was definitely – it came across natural, natural to us, you know, because we are from, you know, uh, Shad and I are both from Brooklyn, New York. We both love hip hop, and we're definitely influenced by, by definitely by, uh, uh, by hip hop. So bringing that, that urban culture to, um, to the TV mainstream uh, wrestling was very easy to us because all we had to do was who you saw in the ring, who you saw on television, uh, especially would be the JTG character it was just Jason Paul with the volume turned all the way up which is the best extension of somebody's uh, – if somebody's character is their exact personality, just with a couple little tweaks and a little uh, little quirks that you can add in. But you two coming together as a team, what made your connection with Shad uh, just an instant chemistry, an instant dy- dynamic that would carry you guys for years and years down the road? Because uh, what made Shad and I um, chemistry click is, like, we're total, we're total opposites. <laughs> we're on different sides of the spectrum. Okay. Uh, it's hard for this to tell that on TV. Like in real life, Shad is really um, outgoing and uh, outspoken, outspoken, and he, he he's not afraid to speak his mind um, and a party animal. But I'm a little bit more reserved. And um, I, I, before I speak my mind, I like to you know observe the situation first and make a very articulate uh, <laughs> give articulate or give an articulate response. Um, and we just we just clicked. It was, it was just a good balance. And, you know, of course, you guys, before your crime time, you were the gang stars in OVW. And even before that, you were the neighborhoodie. And you think that kind of, we already kind of talked about it with being from Brooklyn, but that kind of gimmick gets over in an area like Louisville, Kentucky. But the two of you together, did you really feel like, you know, you just had that different look than what was going on down there in OVW at that point? Yeah, yeah, we definitely had a different look. We were we were using um, what was uh, popular at the time, 
Um, you know, 50 Cent had just came was was out for for a few years, and the bulletproof vest was definitely um, were definitely definitely cool to wear, especially the grill, um, the Tims. You know, that was definitely different. You no, know, there was no wrestler, there was no wrestlers out there wrestling in Timberland boots, so that was a different spin on things. Um, that took a lot. On the side note, that took a lot to adapt to. Um, <laughs> and we brought a comedy aspect to it. Like usually, when you see thug wrestlers, they usually play that play that um, hard, hard um, that hard character, which is very one dimensional. Like they just mean and they want to beat people up. But we brought a, a different um, comedy aspect aspect to it. We made it we made it very fun to uh, fun and uh, fun to watch. What I do love about OVW at that point, and I would love for them to put that on the WWE Network so people could see the uh, the stars that did come out of OVW. Uh, and during that 2005-2006 time, I think really you could almost argue that outside of Lesnar and Cena and Batista, it really had the biggest, like the best group of guys that ended up being moved up to the WWE main roster. But one guy in particular was CM Punk. And CM Punk and OVW, was everybody kind of questioned it at first when he came in because he had made such a name for himself on the indie scene, and he definitely was being maybe a little humbled by being sent to OVW and having to learn the WWE system. What did you think of Punk down in OVW? Did you see that, that he was maybe there uh, as a lesson, like your you know, little dog coming into the big yard, or did you think that it was a perfect place for him to kind of hone his craft and maybe move his way up after that? I definitely would think it was the um uh, for him to um, come in there and home his craft. Yeah, I don't think it was a punishment at all. I think a lot of talent. Um, you, I don't care how advanced you are, uh, how long you've been on the indie circuit. You know, WWE is a different, different beast. So I think you need to go to the developmental system just to get a, a whiff of what their what their system is like. And yeah, when CM Punk definitely came, I definitely saw that he was going to be a, a big star if just given the opportunity, if we gave him the platform, they gave him the floor. And he definitely proved that. Absolutely. I just wonder whatever happened to that guy. He was uh, <laughs> he was on top for so many years, and then he uh, he kind of disappeared. But uh, with that being said, everybody's got a funny story about being called up to the main roster, and some people are caught off guard, some people are caught by surprise. What was it like when you were told you were coming up, they were going to switch up the team name, and they were going to start these debut vignettes, which at that point kind of had been phased out. And they were being brought back, and I think you guys had some of the most creative vignettes that were ever produced by WWE to get a team introduced to the main audience. Um, being called up was definitely a, definitely a surprise to me because one minute, everything happened so fast. Like I told you before, uh, when Paul Heyman put Shad and I together, a week before that, I was doing absolutely nothing. You know, I was sitting on the sidelines. I was contemplating if I was going to go back to New York because nothing was – was um, materializing for me. I was, I was, um, my first tag team partner, if you guys remember him, was Abe Washington. He was the primetime player's manager. Oh, yeah. Uh, me yep. and him, yeah, me and him were the original gang stars. Me and him, he's the one who actually came up with the whole crime time look with the bulletproof vests and the chains and the grill and the, and the Timberland boots. He came up with it and I didn't want to do it. And then I followed through with it and it was a hit. And then he had some personal issues which he couldn't, um, which he couldn't do, so I went on and kept the gimmick, and that's when Shad and I got put together. And um, what was the question again? I was going somewhere with it, and I went back too far. No, I was saying um, <laughs> you got called up, the, and what led to the vignettes and the name change oh, and them being so different than what they were, you know, compared to some other things they were doing at that point. Yeah, so when they put when they put Shad and I together, um, I made my TV appearance, and then I was um, 
Chad and I won the Southern Tag Team titles. And from then from there, we started getting over, and then we did some vignette tapes. The vignettes that you saw on WWE, those we did those originally by ourselves in OVW. You know, we got a camera, and we did those all by ourselves. And Vince saw that, the amateur videos that we did in OVW. And when he saw that, he never saw us wrestle. He never saw me wrestle. And when he saw that, he was highly entertained, and he said, um, I want JTG on the contract, sign him, and let's bring him up, just like that. And wow. from there, like a week or two later, I, had a, I, got, I got the call while I was at work, and um, I was told that I was, um, if I wanted a contract and I got my contract, they wanted me to come to Raw. And everything started going quick after that. And then I got signed in June of 2006. And our vignette started in October, and I made my debut in September. And that's uh, absolutely thrilling ride from June to September. And then obviously, that's, I mean, that's 10 years ago now, which is crazy as it is. But the vignettes themselves are just, they were so amazing. And they definitely are very funny. They had their sense. They were a little bit more serious, I think, at first. But what was the tone supposed to be of Crime Time? Was it supposed to lean towards the comedy, or are you guys supposed to be a little bit more on the serious side? No, we're definitely going to be um, be comedy. That first meeting with Vince, we were told that we're going to be um, baby faces, but we're going to be have heel tendencies, and that was that was going to get us over. And we were going to bring um, have fun on TV and just and just be uh, be comedy and serious when need when when we need to. And that definitely was the case. But I think uh, I think the you know the listeners would love to know: Did Vince have any? Uh, any kind of influence on any of the moves that you guys had eventually when you got to the main roster? Because we like to hear the stories of the uh, the run-throughs and Vince McMahon getting his hands uh, kind of dirty there in the uh, creative process. But did uh, Vince McMahon know how to pop a 40 and check his rollies? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But um, Vince gave Shad and I complete creative freedom without gimmick. Um, we, you know, stuff that I was I was getting heat for. I felt totally comfortable walking up to Vince and asking him um, if we could do it. For example, I especially got heat for looking into the camera while I was showing my grill off. You know, I saw that a lot in the music videos, and I wanted to emulate that. You know, at the time, what 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 um, grills by Nelly and um, Paul Wall, you know, that was very popular, and I wanted to do this. I wanted to emulate that, and I got a lot of heat from the cameraman and some of my some of my agents for looking into the camera. So I went to Vince, um, and I told him, you know, my situation, like I'm getting a lot of heat from the agents. They told me not to look in the camera. They said that you hate that. And I told him why I wanted to look in the camera. He's like, oh, go ahead, do it, man. Have fun. This is your gimmick. No one knows your gimmick better than you. I sure as hell don't, don't know uh, what, what's, uh, what's cool. <laughs> so go ahead. And then um, also with the um, – we had a dress code. A lot of the talent was supposed to wear business cash. And that was a that was conflicting with us because we were hood and it would kind of when we were in the airports or when we were seen by fans it would kind of throw them off you know with us dressing in you know shoes and a button up shirt with a tie so again I went up to Vince asked him you know if it's cave okay, we wear our baggy jeans and double XL shirts and our and our fitted hats and he was totally cool with it you know some gimmicks are allowed to. Uh, portray themselves outside of the wrestling ring, like, like for example, uh, Undertaker. You're not going to see him in a suit or <laughs> or in um, any biz, any biz cast clothes. Yeah, exactly. That might take away a little bit of the mystique, but uh, 
definitely would be a, a sharp-dressed uh, monster, uh, to say the least. But when you guys finally did debut and you came back through the curtain, what was the response from Vince and from the rest of the uh, the creative team? Were they satisfied with the response that you guys got after the vignettes had been airing? Oh, they were definitely happy. I, f- I definitely felt welcome, too. You know, after when we came back from our um, – our match with the Spirit Squad, you know, we got a, we got a, uh, we got a clap from Vince. He gave us a head nod, and and like when you come back from the curtain, you, Vince is like the, like the, um, like the dad. You want to get his approval, and once he's, uh, once he's happy, everybody's happy. We came backstage. I didn't know what the, what to expect. I just looked at Vince. He gave me the, the thumbs up, and he gave me some advice. Um, uh, we had a promo to do, so we had to run off and go meet with Booker T and and um, Jonathan, Jonathan Coachman. So I was trying to run off, and he said, um, after all your matches, I don't forget this. He said, after all your matches, I need you to, so you don't get any heat, I need you to stay and wait for your opponents to come back and shake their hands and tell them, tell them um, thank you for their match. You know, you guys came back. You guys are safe. No one's hurt. So you want to shake your um, opponent's hand and tell them that. Thank you for, and tell them thank you for a good match. So like, okay, I, I mean, I kind of knew that, but we were, but we were running off to do a, um, a promo because it was, it was live. So I didn't tell him that I knew that, but I just said, thank you, sir, for the advice. Uh, I have a promo to go, go do it live. He's like, oh, okay, go ahead, go ahead. And the promo came off great. I don't know if you remember the promo with, uh, with Crime Time and Booker T and Charmel and Jonathan Coachman. Oh, yes. Classic. And that was shot live. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, as far as the, the, you know, the character and the gimmick and stuff, I mean, you guys are getting over is pretty uh... – Pretty different character, I can say, you know safely say than that, that they've put out before. What do you you know? What was your thoughts on the actual character? Did you think that you know it was blurring the lines at all? Was it being maybe too stereotypical? Was it racist at all? What was your thoughts on it? You know, I didn't think it was um, racist or stereotypical until you know a lot of people started getting in a lot of uh, started getting a lot of feedback from uh, from um, different sources. You know, because at first. Shad and I actually came up with the came up with the um the gimmick and then you know my buddy came up with the look and you know I put my little spin on it so it was more it, it didn't it would have came off racist if if the WWE came to us and said yeah you guys are black and we want you to do this gimmick and you can see if, if you guys pull it off we were already doing it they saw it they liked it and they and they put it on a on a bigger platform and made it more main and made it mainstream. So it didn't come off to me very uh, racist or, and even with stereotypical, uh, with WWE, if you if you know the business, they take um, cultures or backgrounds and they magnify it times a hundred. You know, so it's not just African Americans who are are doing gimmicks that um or doing stereotypes, um, negative stereotypes. I wouldn't even just say negative stereotypes, but doing stereotypes. They do it to. Um, uh Mexicans, they do it to Africans, they even do it with um Caucasians to example. If there's some there's something going on in mainstream media, they're gonna they're gonna the WWE's gonna blow it up and capitalize off of it to monetize. Oh yeah, they love to you know do a, a gimmick times a thousand, you know, they really, really magnify gimmicks and stuff like that for sure. But with crime time there was always that kind of thing where you know, you got stealing stuff you're uh, selling it to the fans and stuff like that. Some people were saying, oh, that could be racist and this and that. Well, did you have any problems with, you know, the whole, like, it's kind of funny in a way, but did you have any issues stealing the stuff and then, you know, quote, unquote, selling it to fans and things like that? 
Um, no, because years before that, you know, um, Eddie Guerrero and Chavo was doing it. You know, in, in their theme song, it said, we lie, we cheat, we steal. <laughs> and so yeah. so they were doing it. Shoot, I was getting advice from Chavo, uh, how we could, um, if he could help us with our gimmick. So I think some people could be very sensitive when it comes to their um, – to their to their race and I and I can understand why, but it didn't come off um, racist to me, so it didn't really affect me as much because again we live when you when you in the wrestling business you understand that you need to be more than um, one dimensional. You have to have some more dimensions to your to your character. So stealing coming off as Robin Hood, stealing and then auctioning to the fans and being more interactive with them that definitely helped us get us over. And then I remember you guys stole, you know, like the Royal Rumble, uh, basically, you know, the entries or whatever, and then you'd, you'd sell them off. That was kind of an interesting twist on it as well. Oh, definitely. That was definitely fun. And then we always had, we always had fun, uh, different spin on things, especially with, um, with Shad and I. I told that story in my second book, how, um, again, the second, when we, um, we had to flip a coin, and I uh, tricked Shad into, the, into getting the spot in the Royal Rumble. I don't know if you read my second book yet, but that was a very that was one of the um one of the chapters that had a lot of great responses. That's one of the, a lot of readers' favorite chapters. It's called Raises, Raises, No, No. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you come up with some of the um, you know some of the the titles that you have there? Because it's some of them are you know kind of quote unquote inside lingo, but some of them have just a funny uh, it's like a funny as hell just like spin to it. Oh, I just come up with them off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to have fun with it and not try to be so uh, direct with the title. I try to have some fun with it. You definitely do. Like some of them are just so funny. You know, some of them, you, you know, you're talking about heat or how to play the game. Did you ever have any issues with the game, Triple H? Um, I did, yeah. Towards the end of my career, I had some issues with uh, with, with the game. Um, my my One of my issues with him was, was just getting his attention. You know, I, I had um, some issues that I wanted to get solved and, you know, just getting his, uh, getting like five minutes of his time was very difficult. I don't know if you remember that rant that I did on Twitter, I believe it was like four years ago. Um, I was trying to have a conversation with him, trying to converse with him all day and I couldn't get three or five minutes of his time and he kept avoiding me. So that would lead to that. So that was one of my main issues with him, and that was about it. What was was there like an excuse there? Was he too busy, or what, what was like the real reason behind him kind of not really? I think he, he was just a, he was avoiding me as much as possible. Like there'll be times where he was um, he was on his phone, and then I'll go up to him and like, can I get five minutes of your time now? And then he'll find something to do. It was like he makes time for who he wants to make time for, and I completely he made it. Uh, I saw it. It was very transparent that he was uh, avoiding me or didn't think I was. In, it wasn't important. So that definitely, as a man, he's like, "Where you can give me five minutes or three minutes of your time? You're just gonna find stuff to do. You're just gonna go on your phone when you see me and act, act like you're talking on the phone." Yeah. Not the uh, you know not the response obviously that you wanted, but at one point with Triple H and with Shawn Michaels when there was DX obviously going on. Was there any sort of push from them? Because it almost seemed like a little bit of a passing of the guard. Maybe I could be wrong on that, but it seemed like something was going on with DX in crime time. Was there ever a talk of you guys kind of getting a rub from DX and Triple H? 
Um, no, there was no, not that I know of that, that we were going to get any rub from, uh, from DX. We had a great backstage segment with them, um, in, uh, in England that, um, we had to shoot over a couple of times cause we were supposed to be done live, but, um, we were having so much fun and they were laughing, uh, it was breaking character, uh, that we had to do it again. But, um, no. Seems like crime time you know, for the most part, was definitely over with the crowd and definitely maybe could have been used more. What was your kind of thoughts on the way crime time was used? Because obviously, you know, you guys didn't win the tag titles, but it seemed like they kept teasing it and teasing it and teasing it. You guys were finally going to get the strap. Yeah, there were times where I was told that we were going to win the title. And Shad and I just got it, got heat. You know, we just had we just <laughs> we just had bad timing. The first time we were gonna win the titles that I know of was um was when we were coming back from an overseas tour from Africa. We didn't get to go on the tour because we got we got released. But when we came back from Africa, there was gonna be a pay per view and it was gonna be Crime Time versus Landscape and Trevor Murdoch and we were supposed to win the titles. Um unfortunately Shad and I got fired, uh, with the altercation that we had with Landscape and Trevor Murdoch, which I talked about in my first book. And um, we we didn't get the titles. They put the, the they lost the titles to um, Paul London and uh, what was it Spanky? What was his name again? Paul London and Brian. The other guy, Brian. Right, yeah. They lost the titles to them instead. And that was definitely uh, heartbreaking because you know we were definitely on on uh, one of the most popular tag teams in the company. You know when we you know we worked hard, we we kind of deserved it, um, and especially the winner at the pay-per-view that would have been very exciting and that would have been that would have been great but it didn't happen which is kind of crazy if you really think about what you know what could have been or maybe like the tag title should have been yours it definitely felt like maybe even a couple times you guys should have won the tag titles but what led to that release the first time and how come you guys got picked up it seemed like only a few months later they brought you right back yeah, I think it was more of a a lesson than it was to be um yeah, punishment than it was to really release us. You know, they didn't they wanted to make an example out of us. And they like when we left, when we got released and that day at Monday Night Raw, um, they kinda like we were outside waiting when we came out of the office, you know, we got released from um the head of town relations and when we came out, Stephanie and Hunter Hunter were right there at the door. And you know, you guys look. Um, you could tell that we were we were a little down, a little down. We were very, <laughs> we were down. And they were like, you know, just keep your nose clean, and the doors is always open. Um, okay, so you guys uh, keep your head up. And you know, that gave a little, that that shed a little light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and then six months later, later we, um, I got a call from Shad, and then he said the office called them. They were interested in bringing us back. But we had to go train at Booker T, Booker T's. You know, we had to go train. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So we trained, and then I got a, I was in Texas for about a few, for a few weeks, and then we got the call when I got back home to Louisville that they wanted to bring us back, and they was going to bring us back the day after WrestleMania. Was there any reason for why they released you, and was there any kind of reason given to you why they brought you back so quickly, though? Was there any oh, the, the, yeah, the reason they released us because we, uh, we were unprofessional uh, in the ring. We hit our finisher move on a referee, and um, 
that was that was their the official reason why they released us and also that we um we got into it we got in with well not so much me but Shag got into it with John Cena backstage because um Lance Kidd and Trevor Murdoch, I don't know if you know about the story. It's it's in my it's in my first book. They pulled a prank on us, which is very to us, which which is very unprofessional. You don't you don't bring anything to the um, to a live performance. When when you're doing when you're performing live, you keep that stuff backstage. You don't bring it out. You don't you don't let it spill out to the ring. And it spilled out to the ring. They um, changed the finish on us. And when we got backstage, after we hit the finisher on our on our um, referee, because we wanted we needed to bring the crowd back up because everything was kind of like kind of confusing the way the things ended. So we wanted to bring the crowd back up. So we hit the finisher on our referee because he was involved in the um, in the finish that didn't that wasn't supposed to happen, and the fans felt it. So we left them up. We got backstage and. John Cena was pissed, and he cut a promo on on Shad and I, and Shad Shad spoke up for us, which was not uh, the wisest decision to do. And then, <laughs> you know, you, that's the that's the um, uh, the captain of the locker room. You know, he's trying to make a he's trying to and the way he did it though, he, he did it in front of everybody, which was he could have pulled us to the side and do that, but he needed to let everybody know that. He was show everybody what he was doing, so Shad spoke up for us and you know defend defended us and you know we were right to it. And uh, when we got the next day, we got fired for that. I think he had a very had a had a, some involvement in that. Yeah, the the locker room leader, you know, the long time John Cena. It's almost like the kiss of death. You talk back to him, and you know something might end up bad. You know, happen to you one way or another. But the interesting thing is, you know, they bring it back. I found Charlie about that. <laughs> But they bring it back so quick, right? It was only a couple months later, and you're teaming with John Cena. Is that kind of a weird way to like be introduced back? It was like, did he feel bad or something, or what happened there that they immediately kind of put you back in with him as soon as you came back? I I guess uh, he felt bad. There was some guilt. <laughs> if you could, yeah, you could say that. I, I really don't know. Um, for him to have some responsibility in us getting getting released. Um, and then us being together when we came back, it was definitely a big, uh, a big like, what? Really? Okay. Well, there is kind of a, that old uh, Daniel Bryan story that he says, um, I guess he kind of doesn't say it anymore, but he at one point said that he, I guess he choked Justin Roberts with his, his tie, but uh, before that he he spit on John Cena and he was saying, well, that was a no-no, and uh, I shouldn't have did that. Mm-hmm. So you, you never wow. know the power of uh, John Cena, you know, backstage. Oh yeah, he's definitely uh, up there <laughs> when it comes time to making decisions. With Cena, was there a plan of kind of teaming with him longer than you guys did? I know you guys did that that kind of funny that JBL segment, but did was there a plan of teaming with Cena longer than you guys did? There were no plans. We were just going taking it day by day. Um, I when like when they when he put us together I had no idea. I found out that I found out that day. And um when we just stopped doing backstage segments with John Cena, it kinda just stopped stopped abruptly. We had no idea. Like so you're on your own now? He was like, Yep, don't need you guys no more. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. Great working with you. <laughs> and then you guys had that classic, you know, thing where you kind of with uh, JVL for a bit. Did you enjoy uh, 
your time spent shooting with JBL? Oh yeah, you know, there's a lot of um he has a very infamous uh uh aura with uh, backstage um you know he 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 has a bad rap backstage but when you, but with JBL I I, lo- I enjoyed working with him. I learned a lot from him. Um he de- we definitely had to step our game up uh, uh working with him and I I enjoyed it. One thing I was very curious about with Crime Time is where do you come up with? I know a lot of the, the things in your book. It's funny; it just comes off the top of your head. But where did you come up with the catchphrase? You know, money, money. Yeah, yeah. Where did that all come from? A lot of the stuff um, we got from um, movies or TV shows we liked. Um, I remember Shad came up with that during one of the vignettes. He decided singing it in one of the vignettes we did um, during the training videos, and I went along with it, and it just it just clicked. And then I said, where the hell did he get that song from? It's catchy. And he's like, I got that from, um, what was the name of that movie? Uh, the Players Club, Bernie Mac, right? <laughs> right before the, uh, when, they, when Ballers came into the, uh, into the strip club, he pushed the button, and then he started singing uh, Money, Money, Yeah, Yeah, because when there's Ballers in the strip club, you know, they're going to start tipping very hev- heavily. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was one hilarious backstage segment with you guys. There's Vince, you know, kind of playing the straight guy. He's not laughing at all. He's dead serious. And then you got Regal, Teddy Long, and Coach. And you guys are all singing, money, money, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, Regal breaks out into a funny dance. And then you see Ron Simmons, obviously, classic damn at the end. Was that a lot of fun doing those backstage segments where you kind of, it seemed like you guys were kind of, you know, ripping a little bit? Oh, we had a great time doing those. It was easy paydays, especially SummerSlam. <laughs> a lot of the guys are having matches, and then we just do a backstage uh, promo, and and we're on the and we're we're on the um, summertime summer SummerSlam royalty um, residuals. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> easy. <laughs> easy. Yeah, I also remember a very funny thing that you guys were doing. Vince had that like death angle or whatever. You know, he was he was dead. He blew up or whatever the heck was going on. And Crime Time was auctioning off you know, stuff that was his. That's something that just was like to you, like man, this I'm just gonna have a ball. We're just gonna have so much fun with this. This is just you know, this is just crazy. At first, when we saw the segment on paper, it looked it 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 it, it looked ridiculous. And then Shad and I looked at each other and was like, we're just going to have fun with this. And it, and it came off um, pretty good. You know, we just had fun. And that's, that's the thing with working with the WWE. If you're having fun um, doing what you do, the fans are going to pick up on it, and, it's gonna, and, and then the, the final product is going to come off good. Definitely felt like crime time was not unscripted per se, but definitely felt you guys were kind of, you know, doing your own thing and having a, a lot of fun doing it. Do you think that where they're going now today where everything's kind of overly choreographed and, and there's not as much spontaneity, is that something that you think is a little bit lacking? Yeah, I think that's definitely affecting talent's um, way with um, connecting with the audience. You definitely have to come off come off script a little bit and have some fun and, and put some of your personality in your promos and how you tell your story. Because it's your gimmick. It's, it's pretty much at the end of the day, it's your gimmick and it's your character. You, you're gonna have to throw in a little bit of your personality, and if you stick to the script too much, it's gonna be hard to connect with the audience because it's the writers uh, 
writing it, they have their way of putting it, but they don't know how they don't know how to tell you how to connect with the audience. And if Chad and I did that, we'd have never um been over with the crowd, we would not be having this conversation right now. <laughs> that would have been long been forgotten. Now you guys obviously, you know, you're creative, you guys are funny, you guys are kinda of doing your own thing. You had a lot of good tag team feuds and there was a lot of interesting tag teams around at that point that you guys were going around. Obviously, you know, we talked about Caden Murdoch, and obviously you guys had your issues backstage as well, but did you like working with a team like the Spirit Squad, who is, you know, so much different than you guys? Kind of a smaller, athletic, well, not even duo, it's more like a, a, a quartet. Oh, yeah, we love working with, with the Spirit Squad. Those are the guys we um, we trained with down in OVW. You know, they were, they were, they were like our brothers because we came up with the system together. Uh, we were happy when they got um, when they got called up, and they were happy when we got called up. So there weren't there wasn't no um, jealousy. Um, working them working with them was great. Um, I wish we could have worked with them a lot more a lot more longer. Because as soon as we got got called up, they were kind of um, uh, broken apart a few few mo- a few months later. I just wish they were around for a little bit longer so we could have worked uh, got a storyline a bigger storyline with them. They were uh, definitely kind of like you guys, definitely different than what we've seen before, you know, as far as the WWE. But what about the world's greatest tag team? Because Benjamin and Haas, obviously veterans, great in-ring wrestlers. Is that a team that you enjoyed wrestling? Yeah, I enjoyed working with um, Shelton and uh, Charlie. You know, we learned a lot working with them. You know, they kind of they took us under their wing, inside the ring and outside of the ring. And we developed a a, a friendship, a brother a, a brotherly friendship that we still carry on to today. You know, uh, we still have group texts that it, you know it's um, Shad, me, Shelton, MVP, uh, Kofi. So we we all kind of stay in contact with. Yeah, working with the world's greatest uh, tag team was definitely a great experience, and I'm glad that we were able to have a storyline with them. Yeah, good stuff, and obviously, you know, they're very underrated as far as their in-ring ability. Great tag team, cool feud. But, you know, you mentioned Kofi. i got to ask, what are your thoughts on The New Day? Oh, I'm highly entertained by The New Day. Um, I'm waiting to see uh, what they do with them. I think their time is, I don't know, their time is coming up to to separate them. Um, But I would definitely like to see what they do with them afterwards um if they're going to put them in the main main event slot because um like the shield they had their course they were hot and they when they separated all three of them were in the um i would say they got raised to the what do you call it the um, main event main event level you know two out of the two out of the three are were um a champion uh, former uh, former champions and but they're all have potential to uh, all three of them had the potential to be um to be WWE champion. So I want to see what happens. Something similar to that happens with uh, New Day. Definitely. And obviously, you know, the Shield are somewhat taking over right now with uh, all three of them in the main event scene. New Day might be next. You never know. As uh, it seems like you're losing the tag titles, which would be a sign that they're probably separating. Maybe some of them moving up to the main event. But as far as crime time and their breakup, what was your thoughts when they kind of broke up you and Shad a little bit like out of nowhere? Uh, we we knew um, we were kind of 
kind of ex- – what's the word I want to use? Um, we're kind of looking forward to, to the split because we were, we were a tag team for, for a good amount of years, and we both wanted to know what can we do on our own. Uh, we didn't really have any, like, concrete plans. We just knew that we wanted to go go our singles route, and things were changing every, every week, so there was nothing concrete. One minute I was going to Raw with the draft, and then they, and then they switched it, and both of us were on SmackDown, which I – uh, after a breakup, which I didn't think would didn't make any sense, so that just that was just an indicator that they had no idea what they were going to do with us. And it was weird because it seemed like okay, you guys break up, you know, you guys are going to do the whole feud and you're going to have this whole thing. But do you think it kind of end, ended abruptly? Because it felt like it did. Um, yeah, it came out of nowhere. There were there were like really no signs. Usually when a tag team. Uh, splits up there's usually signs that one is getting frustrated with the other and i don't think that shad and i showed that it just came out of nowhere just in one match (laughs) and not used to that and also when you guys were feuding i feel like the feud ended abruptly because you, you had the strap match at extreme rules you had a match with superstars but you didn't really have many other, you know, matches that would necessitate break of a tag team. You felt like that was cut short as well. Yeah, definitely. We didn't really get to have that. Uh, it was just one pay per view, and the build up to it was just pretty much um, was Shad uh, being a heel and cutting promos, and you didn't really get to hear like my side. You know, I, I remember begging for some mic time with um with Michael Hayes. Like, am I gonna have some time to uh, cut? A, am I gonna have time to cut a promo? Um, even before before and after the pay-per-view match. It was like, don't you think the fans want to hear what I have to say? And they were like, oh, let's see. We got to check time and blah, blah, blah. So it was like our breakup wasn't really a priority at the time. They were more focused on the main events. Which is kind of strange because you guys are both over, and it's kind of just like, man, you know, give these guys a little feud here and see what could happen. They could probably both get elevated from it. But then, you know, eventually Shad gets released. Was that a surprise to you? It wasn't a big surprise to me because that, uh, when Shad wasn't on TV, he was in um, in Tampa down in, um, what was it called again? Uh, the school before before NXT in Tampa, the, the school. I forgot the Oh, name. FCW? FCW, yeah. He was down at FCW. Uh, I guess they were prepping him to, to be a big monster heel. I'm, I'm not sure, but he was down there for a while. And I, he didn't meet the expectations, and he was eventually released. Um, so when he was down there, for, when when you're down in FCW for a while, when you're when you're on the main event roster, you're kind of you're kind of like, oh, I wonder if they're gonna get released. It's kind of like up in the air. And then you know you were on that NXT show, the Redemption show. They kind of like you said, they were kind of putting you in Raw, they put you on SmackDown. You feuded with Coswell for a little bit, the Usos for a little bit. Did you kind of feel like you were floundering there for a bit that kind of didn't have a place for you? Yeah, I definitely felt like that. You know, when um, I went through different looks, I went through different character changes, um, and I felt that I was uh, knocking them out of the park, you know. And um, I was trying to make my way back onto the to the main scene, which which never happened. After a while, with all the storylines that I've uh, I pitch, characters that I pitch, ideas that I pitch, I eventually just you know threw my hands in the air and was like, you know what, whatever happens, happens. And you know, we talked about the WWE release of you when you were released, and you know, you weren't really 
kind of surprised because you weren't doing much, and we talked about how it was kind of funny the way the, the Internet took to it and everything else. But after you were released, was there ever, like, a, a thought, like, you know, I'm going to work my way back there. Like, are you wanting to head back there? Or is it like, yeah, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it happens, it happens. But, I'm yeah, I'm not focused on uh, wrestling per, per se at the moment. At this very moment, I'm focused on um, entrepreneurship, you know, starting a starting a business or being involved in some um, projects that, you know, that's um, – that uses my creativity and I'm able to monetize off of it. Like example, the book, that's one of the greatest things in the world to create something um, from your, from your mind, um, use your creativity to make money and then getting great responses that what I've been getting from um, Dan, why I get this, Dan, why I write this book uh, one and two. It's a great feeling to, uh, to get paid off of your creativity. And the books you've been, uh, you know, knocking them out of the park. So they say, right? great stuff there. But as I start to wind it down here, do you like the independent wrestling scene? Is that something you've gotten used to? Is that something you like to be a part of? Yeah, I have no. Yeah, I reached out to 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 a few um, promotions, but I'm not um, really going as hard as a lot of people want me to. You know, if a uh, if a promoter reaches out to me and the price is right, I'll definitely do the show and I'll give it a hundred percent. Make sure that I leave those um, fans uh, wanting more and wanting, wanting to see me again. But right now, <clears throat> the wrestling scene—I um, love wrestling, but I'm not so—I'm not too much in love with it, in love with it as I used to be. And then, you know, I guess that's what happens to a lot of the wrestlers. The WWE, you know, uh, they may have taken a little bit out of it, you know, as far as you are concerned. But you did reform crime time on the independent scene a couple times. Is that something that you and Shad like to do? Like, you know, reform the old team, bring crime time back together? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Shad and I have fun when we um, do these independent shows. You know, the fans love us. We get a great reaction. Um, every time Shad and I do a show together, we get a great reaction. And we feed off of that, and then it, everything just comes um, comes natural. Um, like, I would prefer to do the tag team, do the crime time um, gimmick. You know, promoters want to reach out to Shad and I. We'll definitely come come to the crime time gimmick. Fans, we give we make sure that they have a good time. We we do our auction. <laughs> we we do our shtick. We get on we get on the mic, and you know I prefer I those are I've been wrestling for like ten years now. And the best part of my career is uh, working, definitely working with Shad. That's awesome. It's awesome to see Crime Time still going because obviously one of the most popular teams that has came along is going to be in a very, very long time. You know, you guys had some great matches. Like we didn't even mention uh, Jarrett Show or Heart Dynasty or Rhodes and Dubiasi. I mean, there's so many other great tag teams out there you guys had good matches with. But have you had a favorite match or matches that come to mind that really stick out that you really say, hey, that's my favorite? Oh yeah, definitely. I I definitely enjoyed working with um, Jericho um, when I had that match with him on SmackDown in Nassau College. It was in Nassau. It was definitely in New Jersey, um, where where Jericho put me over. That was a complete shock. Um, my mom was sitting front row, and she that was a great feeling. And also working um, Jericho at SummerSlam for the tag team titles. That was a big adrenaline rush. I was. Um, almost cried that day when I walked into the arena because it was just like just a few years ago I was in OVW. Um now I'm now I'm at SummerSlam working Chris Jericho and Big Show for the 
for the um, for the tag team titles at the staple at the staple um, staple center. So if I wasn't such a thug, I probably would have shed a tear. But nothing, <laughs> <laughs> nothing came out of those eyes. Awesome moment, obviously Jericho, hugely popular tag team into the pin. Jericho is just another you know great notch on the belt. But is there any sort of dream match out there of a guy or maybe even a tag team that you never faced that if you could, you always wanted to go back and wrestle them? Um, during my career with the WWE or like any tag team in general? No, any any tag team ever. Any tag team ever. I would definitely like to work. Uh, I think there would be a lot of chemistry, chemistry between uh, Primetime and New Day. I think that would be a great match. And also the Wyatt family. I love definitely like to work. Um, I think that would be a great uh, storyline there between Crime Time and the, and the Wyatt family. So those two, uh, if I had the New Day and the, and the Wyatt family. Yeah, yeah, obviously, and we like to end uh, end things on kind of a, uh, a a question that encompasses your career. But you've got so much more left to feel like, and not just in the wrestling world. So. These books have been, you know, phenomenally successful for you, but where do you see yourself in five years? Is it getting more into writing? Is it doing acting? Or is it still kind of dabbling on the side with a little uh, wrestling here and there? Maybe, maybe it all. Um, I'm doing it all, you know, right, I just, right at, at this moment. Um, I'm doing a fan film, uh, a Spider-Man fan film, and I'm, uh, I will be playing Venom. Um, I'm excited about that. I'm shooting that this summer. Um, I'm also right now at the moment, we'll be starting my own, um, personal training business, uh, business, um, getting certified. I'm just keeping all my options open right now. Um, I might be, I want to write another book. I'm also be writing another play. I'm just doing it all. Anything that, that comes natural to me and I'm expressing my creativity, I'm going to be pursuing it. I'm also working on an app. (laughs) I'm sorry. Continue. You got a lot going on. Continue. Oh, no, that's it, that's it. Until something else pops in my head, yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh, no, well, again, but I just want to say, it's uh, the book is called Damn, Why Did I Write This Book? This is number two, but go out and get number one. And, JTG, it's been a ton of fun, but, you know, you're starting to talk about the app, but tell all the listeners of the Two-Man Power Trip where they can find anything and everything for JTG. You can stay abreast with everything that I'm doing on social media. My Twitter is JTG1284. My Instagram is JTG121084, and you can stay up to date with all my projects. You can find the links to my um, my books in my uh, in my bio. You can get the physical book. I autograph all my um, physical books if you send me your address. Uh, just shoot me a DM. My DM is always open. And you could also get the um, the ebook and then the audio book. Everyone love everyone is loving the audio book because I narrate it myself. Yes, that's awesome. That's such a treat. It's funny, you mentioned narrating your own book, which that's got to be so cool to go back and read your own words, but this is actually something that I want to ask you from the start, and this is pretty much the only place I could squeeze this in. How in God's name does the WWE superstar version of Silent Library have 15 million views on YouTube? Oh, wow, I did not know that. 15 million views? Holy shit. 15, 15, (laughs) listen... 15 million and change, and I swear to God, look, I, you guys are all very talented. There's a lot of talent in that video. I don't get it. I, I still don't get it years, all these years later, but 15 million views. What do you remember about doing that silent library thing, and still it's living on, I guess, uh, in infamy? 
Wow. Uh, what I remember most about that is drinking that Tardy water. Those those stunts were real. I thought it was going to be like um, like a work. I thought it was going to be BS. Like, oh, we're just going to do this with the camera and. But everything, all the stunts we did were real. Um, the reactions were real. And um, I think we should have got paid more for that. <laughs> and the best part about it being $15 million and change, it's not even MTV who posted it. It's some jabroni who's got it up there, and he's got 15-plus million views on this, uh, this silent library with you and Ziegler and Hawkins and uh, uh, Beretta. And I th- who else is in that? Um, oh, Masters. It's a great collection of guys, but it's, uh, you guys don't say a word, so you can't really uh, – you can't really get your your true feelings, but this has been. I want to uh, getting paid for the, getting paid for those views. I'm about to re- I'm about to put my own uh, version up. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt, you definitely would be successful with it, to say the least. But JTG, this has been a ton of fun, and uh, thanks so much for uh, for sharing everything. And of course, best of luck. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.